Ladies and gentlemen, John Snyson and myself have a very special treat for you. We just interviewed one of SpaceX co-founders, Jim Cantrell. Honestly, this is one of the favorite interviews I've ever done. I put this right up there with Gia Griffin interview and also the soon-to-be-released Richard Grove interview. John Snyson said this is, was his absolute favorite interview he's ever been a part of, so we are setting the stage very, very high. But some of the things that we got into were the founding of SpaceX, what Elon was like in the early days, Jim's history, which is absolutely fascinating, and part of that history includes working with the Russians, working in bioweapon research, and of course, his thoughts on the pandemic. Jim also gets into his thoughts on the deep state after working in the intelligence apparatus, and we get into so much more. I really respect Jim for having the courage to speak out as much as he does, and if there is one show you guys want to see, this is it. And if there are two shows you have to see, then you also want to see the upcoming Richard Grove episode, which is equally as awesome as this show, but you will not be seeing this on YouTube first. And if you are seeing this before Thanksgiving, then this means you're either on our email list or subscribed on BitChute or library.tv. To get on our email list, type in bit.ly slash Tim John email, all lowercase. Or if you're watching this in 2021, you can go to timandjohnshow.com. And if you want to be the first to get on the Richard Grove interview, you will also have to be on our email signup. And if you like, you can also be on our emergency text list as well. And if you want to receive, and if you are on the emergency text list, you will also receive uh, our free ebook, How It's Rigged the Economy. And down below, the number is scrolling across, but you want to text lowercase Liberty Advisor, one word, no spaces to 71441. And again, that number will be scrolling across the bottom once the show starts. But hope you guys enjoy the show. I, we loved being a part of this show, and I know you guys will love this too. Take care. Welcome, everyone, to a very special edition of the Tim and John Show. And I know I say that a lot, but it's only because we always have kick-ass guests. And today is no exception. Today, we have Mr. James Cantrell. James is the CEO of Phantom Space, which you can tell us all about. He's also a former, C uh, former CEO of Vector Launch and co-founded a, li a little company called SpaceX, which I'm sure everyone wants to know more about your involvement there. And then I hope you can get into a little bit of that later on. But although if you ask Jim, he'd probably tell you that he's really a race car driver at heart, at least uh, by his Facebook feeds. That's what it looks like. And I've got to say out of Every, because I am leaving Facebook at the end of the year and I am going to miss all of Jim's uh, rants. That, that is when he's not in Facebook jail, of course, because, you know, for, uh, you know, a high up guy, you know, he's, he's putting stuff out there. And I really, you know, do commend him for, uh, you know, having the brass huevos to do, to, you know, say some of the stuff he says out there. So we do commend you. And last but not least, Jim is also the father of Colin Cantrell, which actually makes Jim and Colin the second father-son duo that have appeared uh, with me on the show. And the biggest complaint last time when I interviewed Colin uh, is that uh, me talking, even though I talked probably like 10% of the time, it's probably the least amount I've ever talked in the interview. Uh, but if you guys go back to that show, I, I know that you guys will love it. Colin's probably one of the smartest people I know, if not the smartest person I know. Uh, that's because I don't know Jim as well, but I'm sure the apple you know, fell, didn't fall too oh, far from the tree. He's smarter than me. No, he's smarter than me. And his dad's a rocket scientist. So, you know, you heard it, you heard it from there. And, uh, and it really, you know, the only reason I even really talked during Colin's interview is even I can only understand sometimes half the stuff he's saying. And so, uh, you know, I know that 99.99% of earth's population can't. So sometimes you have to bring it back to earth, uh, because, but I love, I love your son. You know, he just, you know, when he, you get him going, you know, it's, uh, you know, a sight to sight to be seen. And, uh, but with that said, you know, enough about me, I, I want to, you know, do my best to shut up. And the first thing we do is we welcome Jim to the show is I want to, you know, if you could tell us a little bit about how you got started in the space business and maybe get into, you know, some of the early days working with the Russians, working with 
Elon, working with NASA. And, uh, you know, please let us know any juicy stuff that I forgot to say in the in the intro, <laughs> but nothing too juicy to get us killed. So uh, if we could start with that, sir. I don't want you to get deplatformed this week. That would be too much all in one month. Right? Again, yeah. No, that was, yeah. that was last month. So it would be oh, back yeah. to back months. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> Yeah, we've already been to platforms. So, so, uh, but I do want to point out this is being streamed live on Float. So, if you're watching this on the replay on YouTube, because on my YouTube channel, not the World Alternative Media channel that's been deleted, uh, if you guys want to see this live in the future, you'll have to go to. We want to encourage people to either get on our email list or go to float.app where you guys can watch this live in the future because this will be playing uh, on YouTube after the fact. But anyways, Jim, uh, welcome to the show, and thank you. And uh, can you let us know a little bit about you know how you kind of got involved in the space business. Yeah, so you know I. Grew up in a in a small little poor community in California on a chicken ranch. My parents were blue collar. I never had any expectation of ever even going to college, let alone getting involved in the space industry. So it was, uh, you know, I think a series of serendipitous things that happened. And I've, I've begun as I've gotten older to view serendipity a little differently than I than I did. Yeah, I used to consider it just lucky, and uh, but I'm I'm starting to see that there's. Uh, and I won't, I won't say that they're, they're, you know, like religious forces, but there's, a, there's like this, this, this serendipity that makes things happen. And I think it's a product of, of, of us and our thoughts and so on. That's very interesting. But, but at any rate, um, I started out, um, you know, really only knowing that I wanted to race cars, like you said in the intro. Uh, that's about all I talk about on Facebook, usually, unless I get pissed off about COVID or something. And uh, I, try to, I try to stay out of politics. I'm really not a political person. Um, I, I believe very strongly in, in our liberties and that, you know, our ancestors fought and died for our liberties. And that's something, you know, that's very precious to all of us. So that's where I get political. But most of the time, it's just for me, it's just about cars. Um, and you're so actually a, a, uh, you're actually a delegate for the Libertarian Party. We both were for yeah. Arizona. So, you know, we and, you know, it's not easy to, you know, piss off a libertarian when anytime you turn on the news. So I just advise people not to turn on the news. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It, it, it just depends. I mean, the, the news has gotten so, it reminds me of the Soviet Union, which I spent a lot of time in. It, it, it's, it's, it's really making me very disappointed in my fellow countrymen. And I mean both sides. So we'll come back to that, I'm sure. Uh, so, so, so at any rate, um, I, I ended up going to college and it was only because, you know, I, I worked as a mechanic in high school and so on. And I had a, had a, uh, a mentor who, uh, literally threatened to kick quote kick my ass if I didn't go to college because I'd end up like him bent over and and you know mid 50s and so on and uh, so I, I did it you know just because other people wanted me to um, got into engineering because I thought well you know maybe I'll go go work in the automotive industry and um, you know about uh, about three or four years into the struggle that was the university because I was never never really good at it um, I came across this 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 poster in the hallway that said, you know, NASA's funding a design course, come help us uh, design a rover for Mars. And uh, you talk about something that was right down my line because I did, I did have an interest in space only thanks to uh, Carl Sagan, who was an astronomer that had a program called Cosmos back in the seventies, which I watched. And that that got my interest in science up, you know, and frankly, that was par probably the other hand that, that got me into college. Um, so anyhow, I, I, I followed the instructions on the poster and went upstairs to this, uh, this office where a retired Colonel Frank Red uh, was, and he, he was a professor after he retired from the Air Force. And, uh, you know, you knock on the door and, and the, he's, I don't know if you've ever dealt with military guys, but, uh, you know, he was classic Colonel. He says, yep, 
you know, you just, you just sort of walk in, you don't know what you're expecting. And this person swings around in his chair and looks at you up and down, up and down. And, you know, and you're, you're talking and you're not sure he's listening. So I was explaining to him how, you know, I built go-karts when I was a kid. I, you know, I could build anything. And I worked as a mechanic to pay my way through college. And, you know, I'd love to be in this class. And, you know, I, I was nervous as hell. I was babbling. And, uh, you know, he kept looking at me like that. And he said, okay, you're on. He said, you're in. So uh, that was like my, my big break, right? So I, I got involved. And uh, most of the guys in the class weren't my type of people, honestly. They, you know, none of them had ever really built anything to speak of. And they were, you know, all about calculations and stress and all these other things. You know, I'm all about, you know, is it, is it wheels or is it tracks? You know, it's, I'm not thinking of a totally, totally different line, you know, and they're, they're doing analyses and atmospheric densities and all this other stuff. Okay, fine. So I, you know, back, this was back in the eighties and I was the kind of kid that had a, had a drafting board. We, we didn't do drafting on computers back then. I had a drafting board in my, in my bedroom. And I, so I started drawing these rovers at night, you know, and designing them and, you know, by the time the semester was over, um, I had really apparently outdone myself. And uh, uh, so we all got to go to Washington, D.C. We had a contest with some other universities. Uh, NASA was the judge. And, and um, you know, it was my first time out of, out of, I was in Utah at the time, first time out of Utah in, uh, uh, to Washington, D.C. And, you know, it was kind of like this whole, this whole thing. It, it, it was intoxicating, you know, to be around these people that had built the Apollo uh, uh, era, it had built all the missions and, you know, and, and I, I just had this tremendous respect for all these guys. So um, I got offered as a result of that, a, an internship at NASA when I was young and I uh, went to the uh, Jet Propulsion Lab, which is down in Southern California. They're the ones that built all the Mars rovers and all the probes to the outer planet Voyager, if you remember that, um, so on and so forth. So, so to work with those guys, you know, again, all historically, you know, the people that were my bosses had built these things when, when they were my age, you know, a little bit older. And uh, so to rub elbows with those people was, to me, it was just fantastic. So I, I became a space geek uh, because of all of this. And, and for the first time in my life, I stopped racing for a while. Um, you know, I was racing cars even when I was in high school and, and so on. So that was just to show you how, how, how uh, it, into it I got. Um, so I ended up uh, inventing something for a program we were working. It was a balloon to go on Mars. And the U.S. didn't have any Mars programs at the time, but we had a lot of technology money. <clears throat> the space shuttle had blown up, <clears throat> Challenger, and nothing was flying. It was really kind of a depressing period. But the Soviets had a program where they were going to Mars in 1994, and the French Space Agency was working with them. And, and through the group I worked with, uh, the Planetary Society, they had, they had a relationship with these guys and they were trying to draw U.S. and NASA closer to the Soviets and the French and international go to go to Mars mission kind of things. So, um, you know, you talk about politically, the only thing I've ever known for sure I am politically is a hardcore anti-communist. So the idea of working with the Soviets didn't, didn't necessarily um, uh, uh, upset me. Uh, it, it, actually, I had this morbid curiosity about them. And so I was very excited to work with them. So I got involved in these sort of off the record meetings that we were having and, uh, you know, you know, informal cooperation with the Soviets. Um, and so, so through this process, they, they decided to adopt a balloon to go to Mars. It was going to be built by the French. And I, I invented this technology um, so that the payloads at night wouldn't get stuck in the ground and, and surface features. 
And um, by the time I graduated from college, I, the, the French space agency hired me. So I went over there and uh, that, that's where Colin was born, by the way, it was in Toulouse. And, uh, you know, here I am with a young family in tow, don't speak a word of French and I just show up, you know, it was, it was one of those adventures in life where you really learn to swim, you know, because you realize you're here, you're, you're out in the middle of the ocean and there's no place to go and you better learn how to paddle real nice. And uh, so, so that experience was really one of those great growing up experiences and uh, working with the Soviets was interesting. I learned Russian, learned how their system worked, uh, spent some time over there. In fact, I was over there during the pooch in 1991 by accident. I wasn't there on purpose, obviously, but um, you know, so we survived that, a lot of interesting stories with that. Um, and then, you know, at that point, it was pretty obvious that the Soviets were no longer getting paid after the pooch. They, they all were on government pension because it was a communist system. And for whatever reason, the pooch disrupted all those payments. And so, so there were all these people that were, you know, literally starving. And so they, they liked working with us because we gave them money to come visit in France. Like they would come visit and they'd get like a thousand dollars. And for them, you know, that was like three years salary and, and just one trip over there. So that was kind of the lifeblood that was keeping that alive. And um, after a while, though, I began to realize that the, the program was going to die. So I uh, decided to head home in about 1992. And uh, when I got to, um, when I got to uh, applying to places like Lockheed Martin and places like that, nobody would hire me because they literally considered me to, to be a traitor, having worked with the French and the Soviets which I, 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 you know, that was, I guess, my first feeling of what it's really like to be a libertarian, you know? You just feel so alone. Nobody like, surely, like you. <laughs> yeah, right. I did nothing wrong. You know, why am I a, why am I a traitor all of a sudden in your eyes? So um, eventually Frank Red brought me back and they had, a, they had a lab there, you know, about 300 people and lots of stuff going on. So I, I went back, got a job there. I didn't really want to go back to Utah, but I did. And uh, so about a month after I was back, um, Frank comes down to my office and he's got this, this friend of his in tow that he'd, he'd gone to West Point with that was from the Defense Intelligence Agency. And he's, he, he introduced me and he says, look, you know, I told this guy you've been, you've been to Russia and, you know, the Soviets and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm in trouble, you know, because that's all I could conjure up was trouble. They would come from this. And you know, of course, I, I felt like, you know, he turned in big Uncle Sam. He says, we need you. You know, he says, we've got this the program to stop brain drain because the Iranians and North Koreans are buying up all these Soviet scientists. And we need people that understand it can go in there now with, with our money and help stop this. You know, are you willing to do it? And I said, yeah, sure. So we, we conjured up, um, you know, a, a program of record through the Defense Department. It took us a little while and started going over there pretty regularly. Uh, put a put a relationship together with the Moscow Aviation Institute, which was their sort of MIT in, in, in Russia, <clears throat> and uh, start thinking up projects. And, and we had specific people we would, you know, we had, we were interested in specific technologies and so on. So that went on for about six or seven years. Some of what we did was convert ICBMs to, because they were treated out, we converted them over to satellite launchers so they wouldn't get sold to the North Koreans. I and mean, if you look at some of the North Korean parades, it's funny, I'll watch those parades and I'll go, oh yeah, that's, that's a McKay of SK-24 engine on that, you know, because I recognize that stuff, having worked with it, and a lot of that shit bled out of the, the system in, into all these uh, third world countries, and the mother of all proliferators are the Russians, on, on, the, on the, at least on the missile side, on the nuclear weapon side, it comes from Pakistan and China, but 
um, <laughs> combine those things up. And now we've got a slightly different strategic posture in the world. So no doubt what I was doing was, was important, but, you know, learning interesting things. Uh, what I didn't have any ideas where this would all lead. And so about 2001, after I'd, I'd, I'd done what I could do there and I, I got, I actually got kind of tired of the Russians. Um, you know, the last one I did was with the Planetary Society where we launched a, a solar sail privately funded out of a Russian submarine in Murmansk. So we were the only Americans ever to go up to Murmansk. The, the, the Murmansk yeah, I've been, I've been to Murmansk. Have you? Okay. Yeah, I, used to, I used to be spying on the Russians up there for the Norwegian military. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's most people don't realize Norway and, and Russia come together yeah. up there. And one thing, just aside to this, since you know that area, um, I was up there a year ago in Sweden uh, at uh, Karuna. We were looking to launch out of there. And uh, I'd always wondered why the Soviets never invaded over the land up through there. We took a, we took a, a helicopter ride out over the tundra. This was July, I believe. And, uh, but you, you, you had no doubt after you drove over, flew over all that tundra and how, how soft it was. And, you know, even tanks would get stuck in it. So at least I got, at least I got to see that part of the world. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, right, we, we flew out of there a couple of, a uh, couple of uh, uh, satellites and both of them, the rockets blew up and that wasn't successful. Uh, so, so along, along comes 2001 and I was back doing my job that, you know, Frank was my boss and, and I get this phone call from this guy and his, I thought he said Ian Musk, but it was Elon Musk. And uh, this was the famous call where he, you know, was looking for Russian rockets and, and he wanted to do this mission to Mars and didn't want to buy American rockets, wanted Russian rockets, wanted if I could help. And, and uh, so, so a lot of, lot of uh, sort of interest there on, you know, I, I didn't know who the guy was, I didn't know what PayPal was. I thought he was kind of nuts. And so I wouldn't, he wanted to come to my house and I wouldn't let him come to my house. I, I made him meet me behind the security at uh, Salt Lake City International Airport because, you know, that was pre 9-11 and you couldn't pack a gun or at least, you know, legally. And uh, there was police nearby. And so I thought, okay, this is safe. you know. And I, I had training, I had prior training. So, so we met and I could see the guy was real. And, you know, so we put together a team of, of people that studied this Mars mission. I go back to my JPL days and went back to all those guys and said, hey, you know, let's put this together. This guy's got a lot of money, you know, and he put in, you know, probably half a million, million dollars was on money at that point over about six months to do something called Mars Oasis. And uh, we picked out the, the vehicles and I mean, it was a very serious effort. And uh, come about November and December, um, it was uh, Mike Griffin who later became the NASA administrator and I and, and Elon went over to try and make the deals on the rockets and and they didn't take him seriously. I mean, the, the Russian society is is uh, patriarchal to, to say the least um, in, in age matters. And, you know, here's this 20 some odd year old kid and he's wearing, you know, I'm wearing my t-shirt here just because I can and it's COVID, but you know, this is how he dressed. It was that Silicon Valley slop that, uh, you know, is, is more accepted today in the, in the, you know, in 2001, it really wasn't. And uh, I think that contributed to the Russians in one case, spitting on his shoes and, and telling him to go away. Another one called him a little boy. And it was pretty rough treatment. And uh, you think about the guy, yet, and I heard the other day, he's like the third wealthiest person in the world now. So I'm not thinking, you know, talk about, you know, sealing your fate. It, 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 so just think about that the next time somebody comes into your office, right? 
and, and has a crazy idea. Maybe it's some kid, you know, maybe it's somebody like my son, you know, that talks actually, you're, actually, your son was actually the first person that I ever interviewed from actually my office inside of this one. So it's, it's funny that you okay. mentioned that. So, yeah, well, you know, you, you just don't know, right? You don't know who these people will turn out to be. And uh, yeah, anyway, so, so Elon sealed the fate of the entire uh, Russian uh, uh, launch industry. I mean, they're, they're gone thanks to Elon. And uh, because after those meetings, you know, we're on the plane on the way home and Elon's like, you know, guys, we're, we're going to build this rocket ourselves. And Mike and I are looking at each other. We're like, yeah, well, people have tried that, Elon. And there's like a whole graveyard of dead bodies that you get to walk through on your way to, you know, burying yourself at the end of that graveyard. And uh, he's like, no, 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 I've got a, I've got a spreadsheet. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's never been done. Okay, everybody else didn't do a spreadsheet. So, so you and I look at it, Mike, and we we're being sarcastic asses. Oh, that's what all the ro- other rocket scientists forgot. They never had spreadsheets. Right, right. Yeah, they forgot well, the, that Excel. The, the funny thing was Elon was borrowing all my textbooks from college. So when I got, I, I didn't say this, but I got a master's degree in that, you know, few years. I, I, because I got involved with the NASA guys and just kept getting interesting and. And so I got a master's degree and I studied astrodynamics and rocket propulsion. So that's where I learned that stuff. And he took all my books from college, right? And he, and he borrowed them and never gave them back to me, which is fine. Um, I'm glad they contributed to something worthwhile. Uh, but Haven't uh, pay you some late fees for the, uh, the Cantrell yeah. library. So no, so. no, it's a great story, right? Yeah. You know, Elon, if yeah, you're listening, yeah. you can keep them. Um, so anyway, I should, I should probably make a package and resell them on the Amazon or something. Yeah. I could probably make a lot of money on it, but at any rate, um, so, so, um, you know, he, he had actually put together a nice spreadsheet and some of the guys that, that I brought together were also launch vehicle guys. And so, so, you know, the, we, we tend to, you know, just build things and, and whether it's satellite or launch vehicles, it tends to be all the same thing to a lot of us, but. Um, some of these guys, you know, had been farting around with the idea of doing it themselves in their garage. And in fact, had built some that were, you know, 30 feet long. And so Elon got involved with these guys and started to see it and went out and saw a test, you know, which blew up. And he's like, you know, we can do this. We can, we can, we can actually do this. So that's how SpaceX was born on that flight back, you know. So, so he said, wait, we're, when we get back, we're going to start this, this company. We didn't know what to call it, right? He says, we're going to start a rocket company. So I think I called it Nuco, and uh, so I, I started in. I said, okay, you know, here's another thing. He was he's paying me well. I was I was you know consulting for him, and uh, so we started you know looking at rockets. What size should we make it? And you know what's the market for it? And all this stuff. And what was kind of curious to me was he uh, he always had sort of in his uh, in his coat. He, you know, despite dressing poorly, he always wore a sport jacket. And in his sport jacket, he always had this little piece of paper that was a Mars base. And every now and then he'd pull the Mars base out and say, what do you think of this? You know, and I'm like, Elon, you know, saying you're going to build rockets yourself is like talking about aliens. If you, if you talk about, you know, Mars bases, we're going to have to commit you to an insane asylum. You know, this is, you don't talk about this stuff. Right. And uh, so, so he's like, Oh, okay. You know, he, he did, kind of didn't get the U S and kind of, you know, at least in, in our group of people, you know, we had sort of this level, if you talked about aliens, you know, the, the door's over there and we're going to go this way and we'll see you maybe, maybe next year. And then he, did, he just didn't quite get all of that stuff. So, so at any rate, um, he's always had, you know, Mars habitation is his ultimate goal. I can see that now. Right. And this is one of the things that's helped me interpret what he's, what he's done over the last 20 years was this pursuit of the Mars base. Cause the, the vehicle that I said that you ought to build early on was the Falcon one. 
which was small. It's about the size of what we're building at, at Phantom right now. And uh, there was really a market there for it. I knew it because I used to build the satellites for it and, and so forth. And, you know, of course, when we converted these rockets in, in Russia, we knew that because they were, they were perfect size, about the same size. And, uh, you know, it turns out a warhead and the satellites are about kind of the same weight. So, so it, um, it was kind of uh, funny, though, that, you know, he, he said, well, we need bigger ones. And so I came up with something called the Falcon 5. That turned out to be not big enough. That was commercially the right size, but he wanted one that could launch humans. And so, so from day one, he, he had this trajectory to, to, you know, to send people to Mars. And uh, so after about a year and a half of Elon, he and I, uh, let's just say we almost put hatchets in each other's heads and I, I decided to leave. And uh, he's a strong-willed person. I, I am too. And uh, at the time, I didn't give him much chance of succeeding because, you know, the shuttle was still flying. The shuttle had, you know, been refurbished and was going and going regularly. And, and you just couldn't imagine that, you know, I figured, I knew that the little vehicle would take $100 million. I figured the big one would take a billion. And I, I just couldn't imagine where he's going to raise a billion dollars. And uh, uh, even today, now that I know how to raise that kind of money, it's still a tough haul, right? You just can't raise that kind of money without having a lot of worth behind it. And he just didn't have the personal worth for it to do it. So, so I just said, okay, you know, I've got 5% of SpaceX. I'm going to leave and go do my own thing. And I can make $5 million when I figured that my SpaceX stock would be worth. So, so I said, I can go do that on my own, which I did. And, uh, but, you know, I kept tabs with Elon and, never really regretted leaving, you know, he was, he was so hard to work for. He, he'd yell at me and I'd yell at him and it didn't end well. And I wasn't the only one that would get in shouting matches with him. So, uh, but lo and behold, about uh, 2005, 2006, uh, you know, the shuttle had, had, had uh, blown up on reentry, and uh, Mike Griffin, who was down NASA administrator, decided to replace it. And so he put two bets down He put one bet on the government replacing it with a you know, they call it the SLS rocket, which is going to launch next year, supposedly, and the Constellation program. And then another one was what he called COTS, Commercial uh, Transportation System. And uh, so, so the COTS money went to, to SpaceX and a couple other companies. And that gave SpaceX the billion dollars it needed to complete Falcon 9 and the, and the Dragon. So, so that became something that was um, nobody had seen, right? So, so you, I go back to the subject of serendipity. You know, in, in a way, you could call that lucky, but I think, you know, Elon and, and his crew were very much prepared for that luck because they had anticipated it. And I would, I would dare say that the, 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 the mere fact of thinking about it and creating a positive environment to receive that, that, that kind of action, I think, creates in other people possibility of these crazy ideas once again germinating. And uh, that's how that happened. So, uh, so that's how I got involved with space and all that. I, uh, after I left SpaceX, I, I started my own consulting company and went into building satellites. I started working a lot more with the military because of my priors with uh, with Russia. I got highly cleared back then and got you know I got inside the intelligence agencies and uh, started to understand you know what was going on. It was more more foreign military kinds of capabilities than you know the NSA stuff. But I, I got close enough to the NSA stuff. I I saw what was going on and. I was always, I have to tell you, I was always uneasy with what I knew about it. You know, it was never completely open to me um, what was going on, but you get, you just get these smells every now and these whiffs of dead bodies. And you think, you know, this is maybe not such a good thing. And uh, so by about, uh, what was it, 2011, 
I think it was, you know, between Colin's friends coming home with their body parts missing from this war and, uh, you know, me actually getting harassed by the FBI for, you know, they're reading my emails and, uh, why? I don't know. I still don't know to this day why they, they consider me radical. Um, you know, I finally got so pissed off. I just gave them all my clearances back because they had the right to just show up and, and look through anything I had. You have no fourth amendment when you're cleared. So I, already I finally, don't, basically already don't have a fourth amendment. If, if you're not even on, on those lists, but you can find it. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I literally, I swore it away, you know, when I, I was under the, the military code of justice. So I gave all that shit away, told him I was a conscientious objector, and I am. I still am to this day. And uh, thus I exited, uh, I exited aerospace. And that's when I decided, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go give racing a shot. And that's something I always wanted to do in my life. And so between then and about 2015, I, uh, I, I raced and I won everything I could afford to win. And uh, then uh, I had to go back to work to fill my coffers back up. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's a that's a fascinating story, and, and it's just you know amazing that you said that you're you're kind of viewed as a, a traitor when you know you take a look at how NASA was started and you know Operation Paperclip and bringing yeah. over you know Verne von Braun, and it was sort of one of my friends Sam one of my one of my friends uh, Sam Tripoli of the Tinfoil Hat Podcast says you know it's basically like they had like a like a draft, and it was like okay you know, the first round pick for the United States is. Werner von Braun and then you know the the English get you know whoever the other person is and so it's, it's just you know knowing that now That's it's the just... brain drain right that, that yeah <laughs> yeah and disgusting I mean I don't know about the individuals of paperclip but let's face it Nazis are disgusting period no matter how you look at it and uh that that, that they would bring those people in to run our missile programs is it's amazing yeah and then we had you know the the you know john and i do more financial stuff but you had the bank of international settlements that at the time during world war ii at 80 percent of all their funding was through the reich bank you know so they, yeah. and reich bank got their funding from taking the teeth the gold teeth of jews and melting them down and sending them to the bis and then no one got in trouble for any of this stuff and all the big companies like ig farben that you know made the gas to kill the jews and got repackaged as bear and then now bear you know ends up buying monsanto and you know all well, these the other places out there yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the gold's still out there. And, and, and it's, just, and then, but then the second in command at the Bank of International Settlements at the time was Thomas McKittrick, who I think went on to work for like Chase. And, and so meanwhile, I think, and then I think the third in command at the time, no, sorry, the top of the command was Thomas McKittrick. I think the second or third was a guy, a German, you know, high up guy who literally signed everything, hail Hitler, every single correspondence during the war. And so you had US government basically forces helping fund the BIS while they were getting their funding from the Nazis while, I mean, it's, and yeah, then of course it goes back to work for chase and you've got Joe Biden getting, you know, with his victory speech, having Jace chase behind him and, you know, Delaware, but anyways, we're getting back into politics. We're getting back into politics that we didn't want to get into. Uh, but, but with Elon Musk, I mean, the one thing now is, uh, you know, when you take a look at everything he's up to, and this is something I heard Ernest Hancock mention is, you know, he's coming out with a, you know, a bulletproof car that looks like it's like a Mad Max type of truck and you know, the cyber truck. Uh, he's trying to get off earth and, uh, you know, he's also trying to read our brains through Neuralink. So maybe he's already reading everybody. It seemed like through 20 years ago, he was already trying to get to Mars. I didn't know if that yeah. was a new thing because of all the no. crazy stuff he sees in, in Silicon Valley that he's like, Hey, I'm getting the hell out of here. I, I know what these guys are up to. Yeah, that was something. Yeah, it's kid, that serendipity, yeah. as you talked about, you know, if you can, uh, who was it? it, was Walt Disney that said that, you know, if you can uh, believe, you can achieve. Uh, right. I think it's kind of like that. And, uh, you know, I call it law of attraction. And I, I know that I used it many times. And me and Tim, it happens to us all the time. 
But even you yeah. think about a person and they call you or, or things that I never thought that was possible suddenly just, you know, slowly becomes possible over time as I have, you know, not stop believing that I will achieve things. So you want to hear a crazy coincidence? The first time I ever heard Jim on an interview was with on Ernest Hancock show probably three years ago. And the second the interview was done, uh, you know, I, I, you know, my, I was driving and turned off the car and just put on the radio and Elton John's rocket man was on. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, man, you know, I'll talk about serendipity. I'm like, that's yeah. just too perfect that, uh, yeah. know, it was like 100.7 or something. Then you can't make this stuff up. No, you can't make this stuff up. I, no, in fact, I'm writing a book. It's, it's probably three quarters done. I had to stop because I was starting to have nightmares from it. I couldn't, couldn't sleep, but, um, you know, it's about three quarters done, but it's all about the serendipity of all this stuff. And it, it's kind of crazy how it all comes together. I, I would have never imagined this. Yeah, no, exactly. It is. It is crazy. And then we've got, you know, speaking of crazy, we've guys like, you know, Klaus Schaub of the, I'm not sure how much you've seen with the world economic forum or any of the great reset stuff that's going on. But, you know, today there was a zero hedge article saying that we might need to get our brains scanned before we travel. And so I'm wondering if that's something where, you know, and that, that's why, you know, I like a lot of what Elon's doing, but then I take a look at like the Neuralink stuff and it's, and it's sort of puzzling because, it's, I just see, I mean, I think anybody, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, you know, no pun intended to figure this out, but the fact that he's building this technology that obviously if you can start reading people's brains, it's going to be used against us, but it's sure some of those, Hey, you know, if we can do it the good way over here, I'd rather manage it. Sort of like, you know, when you had a guy like Alan Greenspan was a big gold standard guy until he got mm -hmm. into the federal reserve. And then was like, Oh, well, you know, it's either, well, if I wasn't in there, they'd have somebody even worse than me and they're doing it. So I don't know if that's sort of why Elon's up to it, or if you, really thinks that, you know, Hey, it's going to happen anyway. So I might as well be the one, you know, you know, it's, so, so I gave a, a long interview to the Parisian newspaper Le Monde and uh, they want to know about Elon's politics. And I, so that's one of the reasons I accepted the interview. I thought it was a very interesting topic that nobody had really breached. And I thought a lot about his politics and uh, you know, and I, I don't think the French quite got what I was saying, but it, you know, I, I said, you know, it was, it was in French. So maybe that was my problem, but, um, you know, I said, look, he's, he's a libertarian like me. And I had explained to him what a libertarian means. But that was about as close as a description I could come up with. And I, and I truly meant it. At the time, I was not a libertarian. I was, I was a, you know, a, a Republican voting, hardcore Republican, really anti-communist. Uh, but, you know, Elon, I, I recall very distinctly when 9-11 happened, he said, this is the biggest tragedy of my life because this was such a great country until now. And the only choice this country has is to clamp down on civil liberties to guarantee that these these tariffs won't kill us on a daily basis, you know. And, and I think that's truly how he thinks. That he, he thinks of the global system of people, and and is his thinking is not like you and me. It's it's very much focused on on things that we won't normally think about, right? You know, you're you're talking about all the you know the chase sign up here and all, all those others. He doesn't think like that. He, he's he's thinking about how things are connected. You know, one mountain to one sky, and you know, one one sky to one piece of space, and literally, he's 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 levels above what most people think about, and uh, it's 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 interesting, and uh, you don't see his. Um, I think his politics are one of, of practicality. If you look at what he did with Obama, you know, obviously he got close to him, and then some of his executives, you know, work for me now that were there during that that famous uh, visit to Cape Canaveral. Uh, with you know Obama with his coat over his shoulder and all that. Oh yeah, um, that. yeah, right. And and they said no, no Elon wasn't you know, particularly enamored by the guy. And uh, 
you know, probably not with Hillary either or, uh, you know, Trump, you know, he's, he's had his issues with Trump. Now, Peter Thiel and Elon, P Peter's a very hardcore libertarian. And, you know, he, like me, kind of floats a little Republican. And uh, Peter, uh, I think, uh, I think was very, very, you know, in line with Trump. And, and I think that's where that, that, that falling out came from. Yeah, and Peter Thiel, what's the company that starts with the uh, P, a Palantir? So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not really an expert. I'm not really an expert on them, but I know that it seems like they're up to a lot of kind of deep state intelligence gathering type That's stuff. What it is. And, and he's also, uh, you know, was, you know, Bilderberg. And I guess there's, you know, the same argument of, uh, you know, if, you know, we need a good guy inside the Bilderberg. Yeah, but, it, was our, it was our buddy Dan Dix, actually. Yeah. <laughs> He, he wasn't too happy to see Dan Dixon. That was actually right after he got banned when, it's when he confronted Peter Thiel on a lot of the different platforms. So that's interesting as well. <laughs> I Personally, I like Peter, right? Yeah. And, and Peter and Elon hated each other. Peter fired Elon. Uh, he sent Elon when he was CEO of PayPal on a vacation and fired him. When he got back, <laughs> you know, shit was at the door. And uh, that's that's when I first met Elon was right after that happened. So I, I heard all about it. But yeah. uh and maybe let's pivot to, you know, what you know about like, you know, space-based, you know, communications. I know John does a lot with communications as well. And I know at one point at Vector, I think that there was different things that you're up to in terms of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, satellite internet type technologies. I know Colin is looking at different, uh, you know, mesh networks and different satellite networks. And obviously Elon Musk with Starlink. Uh, you know, where do you see sort of, I don't know if you call that 6G. I'm not it's 6G, yeah. 6G. So I, I don't know. And then we also have, you know, 5G coming up in parallel with it. So, I mean, do, what do you sort of think of the prognosis of the, you know, the space-based internet? Because it's something that I personally, I mean, sort of like, you know, Ernie, I'd like to be able to just travel around, be in the woods somewhere or be, you know, in an RV and getting satellite internet everywhere. And so for me, it's going to be a big game changer. I think for, you know, a huge amount of the world that's not even on the internet, it's going to be a game changer. But, you know, where what's sort of like the current state of affairs with... Uh, sure. Know, so, so you have to sort of understand really where we're at from a historical perspective with, with space applications. So, so, you know, what's the, what's the killer app for space? We don't really know. We're, we're kind of like the Spaniards standing on the shores of Spain, you know, in the mid 1500s waving at the, at the galleons that were going to the new world and coming back loaded with, with gold and, and so forth and strange creatures and people and so on. And, you know, it was no way anybody at that time and place could ever fathom what would come from the new world, right? And, and the immense wealth that would come from it, that how enormous it was. And, and really that's space. This is the, the frontier. Uh, you call it final frontier. I, I don't think so necessarily, but it's the frontier for us and economically and physically. And uh, so, so there's a lot of laws of physics that make you know, getting there tough for starters, it's energetically a different realm. So it's kind of like, uh, well, if you've ever been to Germany, <laughs> it's like the fast lane, the slow lane, right? yeah. <laughs> it's on the, yeah, on the exactly. Autobahn, yeah, 200 miles an hour and 50. And you, yeah. you, you know, you don't go in between too much. So, so I'm you know, guessing you were there, in the fast lane the whole time. So if I had a car that would do it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyhow, I got other stories about that. Um, so, so yeah, so, so space, you know, has these physical barriers. Uh, we also have regulatory barriers because if we use radio to, you know, talk back and forth to space, we got to be cognizant of our fellow human beings and not trample all over their radio uh, spectrum and so forth. 
So, so what you have then is a place where the communications in space can be extraordinarily rapid. And in fact, more rapid than terrestrial because you can use optical communications in space. Whereas on, on, on the surface of the earth, everything's going to slow those, those uh, photons down. Unless it's a cable, yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, so the, the potential for mesh networks in space is enormously fast. And you can also say the same thing on earth. So let's assume earth is also going to evolve quickly. Um, so the question then becomes, what can you do between those two layers? And um, can, you, can you use the space layer as an adjunct to what's going on on the, on the, on the earth layer to do things that you can't otherwise do. And so, so where my mind goes is yes, okay, worldwide internet, you can do that right now if you want, if you wanna go buy an Iridium modem. You know, they're made, they're made just up the street from here. I worked with those guys for years on the telephone system. Go anywhere in the world, you'll get 100 kilobits per second. Okay, that's not internet by most people's standards today. Um, <laughs> You could buy a special K band version of it, right? Or yeah, that's get... been the that's been the biggest problem is the bandwidth, you know, coming down. Right, and, and to my point of space to Earth, you know, that's the limitation, right? So, <clears throat> what what uh, the other thing that happens up there, and this is Ernie loves this. He calls it the sixty-one mile border above hundred kilometers. Anarchy is only hundred kilometers away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually so, had just written that down, like, like as you were talking to bring that up. So I'm glad you brought that up. So yeah, yeah. No, I, mean, right? I, I still, I still focus on that, and you know, I, I, I don't want to go into it too much because it's part of our business plan of Phantom. But you know, we still plan to exploit that, uh, that basic concept. And you know, Galactic Sky was based on another technology, but the basic network concept is that you use the space-based network that has no jurisdiction literally over it. Uh, that it, if you can talk down to specific handheld devices, which Skylink doesn't quite do, by the way. You know, you, you buy a, a little device that you put in your village and then everybody gets Wi-Fi off of it. Still, it's, you know, it's, it's a far cry from anything we've had to date. So, you know, he's thinking along the same lines. And, and you know, when I, when I go back to the early days with Elon, he said there are three things he wanted to do in his life. One was to get humanity off of, off of um, uh, fossil fuels. That's why he's all into this solar stuff and the electric cars which still faulty, you know, because you're using coal-fired power plants to power Teslas, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, we, we know um, that. Our viewers know that, but yeah. yeah. So. And yeah. Elon, I'm sure Elon knows that too, but, you know, it's better. Uh, it's the turd in the punch bowl at the Tesla party, if you mentioned yeah. it. So. <laughs> um, so, 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 you know, there's that. There was, there was, you know, make humanity multiplanetary species. And then the third one was to, to break the, the ability for tyrants to control humanity, right? And, and I think he sees it the same way I do, which is the ability to flow information. And you guys are, I'm, I'm not going to tease that you're too young, but you know, you're, you're too young to remember when all we had was, was encyclopedias to look at. And I still books. remember encyclopedias. Yeah. I actually read, I actually read my you, grandparents encyclopedia from front to back. Cause you know, I didn't have a computer yeah. till probably my, uh, my, 10. So yeah, my first okay. computer was a 386, uh, but okay. I, I did have encyclopedias before that. <laughs> Good. Well, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I spent my summers reading encyclopedias. That's kind of kid I was. Yeah. But we had no internet. But think of think of going from that to where we are today, where you know I can get into somebody's computer in in in, in China right now and you know yeah. load data off. There, it, it, it's coming from everywhere. It's connected everywhere. Part of the election mess we've got right now is because it's all connected together. 
And, uh, and that's so, going to so drive you, you nuts just knowing like with a son like Colin who's into blockchain and pioneering that and, and having the, uh, was it the free and equal uh, elections with like yeah, Christina Tobin and, and different, yeah. uh, different events that they've done over the years. And just knowing that, I mean, something, especially Ernie, I mean, it frustrates the hell out of me. And I learned about some of the stuff from his show, even before the last election with like Bev Harris. And it's just so frustrating knowing that all this stuff is out there. And yet now these Republicans are finally realizing and like yourself. And I was like, it came with the Ron. I was more Republican that came with Ron Paul and then then saw how they railroaded him and then backed out completely. They went libertarian. They got pissed off at the libertarian go- government. Uh, government and technology doesn't really fit together. It's a very yeah. slow process. Yeah. But, and, and now everybody's like, oh, well, Trump, you know, is going to have this watermark ballot thing. And it's gonna, like, you know what? They should have been working on this four yeah. years ago instead of instead of, you know, having all this, you know, Hail Mary, QAnon stuff. You guys should have all been the, the <laughs> second. The, the second the, the last election was done, you guys should have been on this. And right. in fact, and if you and if like Ernie said, you know what, if you were not smart enough to trap these guys when you knew they were going to be tra- the, when you knew they're going to be laying this out, then you're not smart enough to be president. I mean, that that's, that's right. And, yeah. and that's and I agree with that. I'm like, you it's guys really all should have been on this immediately because I my first ever podcast was on that subject. The, my first yeah. official one was a, as soon as he got elected. And I'm like, you know what? You guys all taking a victory lap right now. They're going to steal it from you next time. They didn't have to steal it from Hillary because they thought she had a 98 percent chance of winning. And the deep state is right. not going to commit felonies when they thought she was a shoe in this time. They know the other guy's already in there and they're going to do everything they can to get him out there. Chuck Schumer even said, you know, six ways to Sunday that the intelligence agencies are going to come after him. So it's just knowing that, you know, brilliant minds like yourself and your son, you know, already have basically solutions that could be, you know, basically rolled out. And then, yeah, here we are just, you know. Well, yeah, technology and innovation is your is your weapon against these enemies. And let's make no mistake, you know, the, the intelligence agencies are our enemies. They, they are a, a danger to this country. They are a danger to our very existence. They used to not be that, but somehow they've become that. And and they I've become, become technocrat, con- if you can call it that, technocrats. They're all going to yeah. have control and see everything yeah. that happens, right? Well, it, isn't it too big of a prize, though, for somebody to even resist? If you could monitor everything that goes on in the world, right? what would you do with that? Just think about that honestly for a minute, right? And, and I, I went through that thought process and I said, I would make insider trades. I would monitor every one of the CEO's stocks that I was interested in, and I would do insider trading. No, I'll be honest. That's what I would do if I had that, and I, I had no thought of ever getting caught. You know, Then I could like donate to all my libertarian causes, go racing all I want, build rockets with impunity, make life easier, right? So speak, speaking of which, yeah. you, th- th- this is a gr- great segue into, I mean, I don't want to, this is me talking, not not Jim talking, but in, two, in 2001, when there was a, the airline put options, everybody knows that, you know, that right before 9-11, there was a mass amount of put options placed on American Airlines, like six, seven, eight standard deviations out from the normal. It'd be like it's snowing yeah. right outside right now in Phoenix or in, in Tucson. And, but the thing is, you go back to the company that did that. It was a company called uh, Alex Brown, which was actually the first investment company and oldest investment bank in America. They're a subsidiary of, of, I believe it was Lehman Brothers. It's either Lehman, no, either Lehman or Deutsche. I can't remember which one, one of those two. And uh, yeah, both great banks. But then, uh, <laughs> but what, but you take a look at who was the former CEO of Alex Brown uh, that had stepped down six months prior to 9 11. His job the morning of 9 11, do you want to take a guess at what, what, uh, Buzzy Kronegard's job was the morning of 9-11 and he was I don't know he would beach beach washer down at Brighton Beach yeah he was the acting executive director of the CIA 
Oh, no kidding. Former intelligence agency is, or yeah, his former firm that he had just left six months prior are the, is the one that put the, uh, and in Jim Rickard's book, uh, Death of Money, he talks about that and being yeah. in the same room with this, but Jim yeah. Rickard's chalks it up to, it's just, you know, they caught all this noise and amplification and it had nothing to do with insider trading, but, you know. I've, well, the, no, the, I can, I can tell you firsthand experience. So, I was involved with a program where we were in, we were looking at steganography. I don't know if you know what that is, but uh, you can embed in the white space of images uh, information. And uh, so, so one of the early ways some of these terrorists were communicating was through steganography, and they were sending porn to each other. And uh, then they had a program that go in and you know pull pull the data messages out of the white space. And so. We, the company I was working with in Utah, we had the ability to decompress in real time very large amounts of imagery data for, for targeting. Frankly, we were, we were trying to kill terrorists with it, and uh, so we ended up, you know, working lots of the terrorist house. porn in the meantime. So, well, yeah. So we went from you know locating terrorists in their Toyotas and blowing them up to, you know, looking at terrorist porn as it poured across the internet. And uh, you know, back in those days, there wasn't as much nearly as it's going on now, but we were pulling that stuff real time. And, and I was told by, you know, this was, you know, months prior to 9-11 that they, they, they were picking up a lot of good terror signals on that. I was told later by a, a, a representative from uh, Pennsylvania that Kurt Weldon, that, uh, that, yeah, they, they, they did pick up signs of the 9-11 guys, you know, so whether that was well-recognized or not, I, I couldn't tell you, but, you know, we were picking up signs with Bill Binney, who's, who's, you know, oh, famous, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bill. Bill is just as as uh, famous as Snowden in my book, but you know he said the same thing. You know his his system uh, had picked it up too, so they they knew they saw the signs there. But you know tragically nobody did anything about it, and that's the bottom line, right? And uh, here we are. But you know technology is the only thing we can use to keep our government at bay. I mean, it, yeah. it, you know, let's think back to the Brits when they were our uh, masters here. You know, we got the we got the muskets and. And the horses and we whipped their ass that way and uh, but then they went on to own the basically the first central bank of america and so they still controlled our money which is why when that expired in 1812 they came here and burned on the white house but you know yeah. that's not really in the encyclopedia that you, that we write right. back then or you know because all the history has been rewritten which is another reason why i'm excited for blockchain is now we can actually have history where we know if it's going to be changed or you know rewritten in the future yeah if we can once get control of the information we consume to know whether it's, it's real, it's propaganda, it's it's filtered, it's colored, it's flowing freely. That is a fundamental human uh, liberty that that we've not really experienced. I don't think we've ever really experienced that. I I used to think we did, but I'm looking back on you know even I'm I'm starting to really even question whether or not John Kennedy was killed by the CIA. I used to think that was a stupid idea, but you know given what we've seen over the last four years, I'm starting to wonder you know about I, about all this stuff. So. So that sort of thing is, is still one of my major goals in life is to help innovate on a system that will actually create liberty for people of all over the world. Because I think we are, as a species, liberty seeking. And I think that's what Elon's after too with, with uh, his, uh, his, his comm system. But I don't really know. I, I haven't talked to the guy forever. No, I, I think that technology will, uh, you know, either be used by the totalitarians or be, uh, you know, used to free us. You know, look at what uh, China is doing right now with 
their massive uh, control grid with their social scoring system with yeah. like i i'm in the uh low voltage industry so i deal a lot with access control camera systems okay. and all this stuff so i i see a lot of the new uh, there's actually new protocols coming out right now with ai for matt you know checking if you have wear a mask or not and then find you uh, there's, you know, to keep keep track of how Herbal. many people there's in uh, within an area, uh, and then there's uh, social distancing uh, AI that's going on right now. So they're they're really trying to, you know, push this on to the public here in the, here in Canada. The, the the CCTV industry is writing about it right now. They're really pushing it. Uh, thermal cameras. They want thermal cameras on the metal detectors now. You can buy them. They want probably. You know, who knows when the economy opens up again, who knows when we go into sports stadiums and airports, they might have these stations everywhere, you know, because they have it already. They're they're promoting it and selling it. So who knows, you know, uh, where we're going to be at when when we suddenly think that we have our freedoms back. We suddenly are at that new normal that they're talking about. Right. So uh, but that's what, you know, the the blockchain systems and, and all those things. You know, I, I bumped into Bitcoin back in 2014. Uh, when I, I got it from the point of being a monetary historian, historian, because I loved studying history of money and, and, and governance and how that, you know, lasted throughout history. But what, you know, with Bitcoin, I was like, holy smokes, like this is totally different. Like this is nothing like people, what they could try never to put labels before. on it. Yeah, never, ever existed anything uh, like it. And so it was revolutionary. And I've been excited about that technology ever since and trying to like been involved in a couple of different programs right now with some blockchain uh, systems. So it, it's just really exciting on the one side. And then you have, you know, the, the intelligence agencies and, and the governments, you know, trying to work uh, from the other side to then use it to control more. Yeah, I mean, there are things statistically you can do with blockchain by analyzing the you know, the blocks to where there's geographic uh, transactions and so on. There's, you know, it's useful to the intelligence agencies, and you know what, it, it it's a fair game, right? I mean, everybody has got a right to look at what's around them and try to figure out what what people are doing, you know. But uh, you can't, you're never going to stop that. But you know, this prevents them from having the sole seat and the sole judge it's like the queen sitting there in in london you know plotting your demise and uh, that that's how i think of the you know what's become modern america it's a monarchy it's not a it's not not so much the it reminds me of the stasis at the police level but but it doesn't remind me of the communists it reminds me of the monarchies and uh yeah the lords are the politicians except the nsa makes the stasis look like you know oh yeah quiet boys you know nothing compared to that yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and I got a lot of friends in that business, and you know, I um, understand why they don't want to leave. They pay them very comfortably, but you know, as far as I'm concerned, they've turned themselves into prostitutes, and uh, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it anymore, and I'm I'm never going to shut up about it. So they can uh, they can continue to send the FBI to interview me all they want. <laughs> and that's why you know we respect guys like you and Bill Benny, who are just you know absolute heroes. Yeah. And, and it's a shame more people don't know about William Benny and every all the contributions he's had because he really set oh, the time, yeah. you know he really you know kind of paved the way for us Snowden and really right. I mean, he was much I mean Snowden was just a contractor working for the NSA working for like a company yeah, that was hired by the NSA. There's also a couple whereas, other ones too. You know uh, what was yeah. the uh, two other guys? Tom, uh, well, you probably know their names better than us, but uh, there's been several ones like. Uh, even after Benny, right? That people- yeah, there were there were two after Benny. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But Bamford, James Bamford's written pretty extensively 
about the NSA that it's, his stuff was pretty good. I would say. Have you ever, have you ever heard of? Uh, and I just had to remember the guy's name is Michael Aquino. So he was the former yeah. head of the NSA, and he literally looks like he's out of something from like the Adams family. I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it's just ridiculous that this guy. Then he goes on Oprah, and there's a thing, and his wife looks like Morticia or something, and he's wearing like a Satanist thing, and he started this. Uh, I think it was called Temple of Set because the Church of Satan wasn't evil enough for him, so he said he got a directive, and he. Was was the highest ranking person in the NSA in terms of like military head of the NSA, not like whereas Bill Benny was more of like the highest ranking mathematician, uh, you know, like the real person doing the legwork. But I don't know if they're there at the same time. But anyways, like for people that want to know, like, like, I don't care if people are religious or not. I don't want someone that is a Satanist running, like being in charge of everything. And if you were a Satanist, what would you want? You would want access to all the information. And, and so the fact that a guy like him can get up to the, you know, the very, the top rank of the NSA and people, you know, for anyone that thinks that I'm, you know, exaggerating this, you can just, you know, duck, duck, go Michael Aquino, A-Q-A-Q-U-I-N-O NSA. And you can watch his, his Oprah video if it hasn't been taken down. And this is, you know, really something that people should, uh, surveillance surveillance becomes very addictive you know i work in the surveillance industry work with a lot of surveillance operation centers i actually worked at the surveillance operation centers for the uh, norwegian military for the u.s uh as well it becomes very addictive you know we had access to all the nato secret files all the locations of all the nato fleet uh, on a daily basis and you know it's it's hard not to look over there it's like oh this is cool (laughs) And, and yeah and now you yeah, know why you, we're kicked off YouTube. So no. <laughs> well, no, no, you feel you feel this sense of power. Yeah. I, I felt it the same way. I, I spent most of my career, believe it or not, in the space warfare side of this thing. And it was, um, you know, both counter uh, uh, space, in other words, defensive and, and offensive uh, counter space. And, uh, you know, bullshit people shit up and make them cry. And uh, it was just, there's something powerful that you you'd sense about knowing things other people didn't and you know you would see things happen on the international stage you go oh i know it's like you had the the uh the, yep. the seer stone <laughs> yeah exactly You're yeah like, you'd be like, oh 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 there there we go yeah yeah right <laughs> no, it right. is it is uh, it is addictive and that's the problem and that's why like if you can't control yourself you know i'm very happy that i'm out of that uh, out of that setting uh because it it does become you know uh more and more addictive to we actually had the head of the norwegian NSA coming out and talking to us and he said like you want to know as little as possible guys that's a career you know I'm going to give you career advice is you want to know as little as possible that's right uh, well, that's yeah. right yeah no the, the the shit I learned in in Russia you know that they had done part of what you know our charter was was to keep the guys busy the other part was anything that you know was for sale that need to be taken uh, by the good guys you know let us know and we'll go get it and then the third part was, what did they do in missile defense, you know, at, at, at the same time that we were doing it? And uh, the stuff I saw that they had done, it, it just it scared the hell out of me. I mean, we got we ended up getting into bioweapons and chemical weapons and all this stuff that was left over in the Soviet Union. And, and it just the, the, the amount of bioweapons preparation that they had uh, for us was, was unreal. Just these, oh. these warehouses in Kazakhstan that that had these vats to to you know boil these viruses to kill us it that was scares the crap out of you doesn't it yeah it does. and meanwhile the cdc gives you know what is it 3.5 million dollars to the wuhan institute of virology level to, four lab, yeah. yeah to increase you know gain of function and then we're over here with the tinfoil hats being like oh you know you know 
maybe it got out accidentally, maybe. And then everyone's like, oh, no, it came from a bat. So now, you know, it's, it just seems like you've got the guy that even just, you know, first discovered, I think, AIDS even coming out and saying that this was, you know, engineered and you've got, uh, it, it just seems like all the, now, I don't know if it was deliberately released, but they're certainly not oh, letting no. a crisis go to waste over here. And it's just, you know, as someone that's, you know, a rocket scientist, you know, it's it just for me, I mean, if you don't want to get into this, just let us know. But it just seems like this whole thing is just an excuse to take our liberties. get well, it, is. it is. Yeah. I, you know, when it first came out, so I, I keep my mouth shut. Right. And I'm just watching. And I'm like, OK, when I saw them running around in Wuhan, you know, it's, it's like what we were just talking about. When you when you have a seer stone, you've been on the inside of it, you go, oh, they've got a they've got a level three bio leak there. And they're locking the whole place down and this, this hopefully they keep it contained. And, you know, we, we would take, I know over here, we would take viruses and we would play with them. We would engineer them not to make them attached to people. We want to understand how they would attach to human tissue, right? So we would play with the chromosomes and the DNA to try and see that. And, and we would also try and, you know, see if we could mask certain viruses look like other things because we were, we were in the detection side. That, that's part of what I got involved with. And, and so when you start to see this all in wine, it all hallmarks of a military controlled bioweapons operation that had leaked on accident. It didn't look like it would not have gone the way it did in Wuhan if they had deliberately leaked it. Okay. They, they got their own population. I think at some point, yeah, they, they probably well, want to have it more deadly too, because you know, leave it to the government that they can't even kill us, you know, as efficiently as as, as they it want wasn't to. Either, a particularly, so, yeah. it's, it's not a particularly deadly virus if you look at it, and it seems to have mutated as as it got in the human population. But but you know, it's what a three and a half percent death rate. That's you know, that's not great, but it's not horrible. It's not anything like what people treat it as, you know. So so I started to speak out, and uh, I even went on the local radio show here. Uh, one of the hosts asked me, you know, to come on and talk about it. And I was, was a little afraid to sort of talk about some of my experiences with this, but this is what I said, but I got excoriated for it. You know, these are people that spent their lives as like accountants, you know, and they watch CNN and then, then they've got the, they've got the balls to opine, you know, about somebody who's actually been in the industry yeah. as, as being a liar. You know, th this is where <laughs> we've gotten with our society. You know, we've got people with no portfolio that pontificate about nothing. And, that, and to me, that's the real thing that's the, the tragedy here, because now this allows the, the people in charge to do whatever the hell they want with us. And for why I don't know why they want us all locked in our house. I still can't figure that out. You know, I, I like it personally. Lock me in. Yeah. That's fine. Actually, talking about here. that, we, we're just going into uh, like, uh, you know, it's so funny. I, I read a parent leaked letter that came out of the the uh, parliamentary, uh, parliamentary uh, here and uh you know, they said that they were going to go into more and more lockdowns as they got closer to December. And then they're going to have like a full reset with the IMF and all this stuff at the other end of it next year. Uh, but it's actually following step by step, like what they're doing, like right now, you know, from that letter that I read that, you know, supposedly leaked out. Uh, and now here in Manitoba, where I'm at, you know, we're the hotbed in Canada. And we were, we were actually the best place in Canada back in March when it came out. We had almost no cases. Now we got everything because I guess, you know, like, oh, the, the, those guys, you know, feel cocky now. Like, we got to have to put some, uh, like, make them, uh, you know, uh, submit. And, and sure enough, like, now they're locking down how much 
uh, it was announced today that now you can only buy essential goods and, and not even socks and t-shirts are deemed essential. Uh, and, and then you have, uh, you know, uh, me and my wife, we can only, we can have nobody over anymore legally. And, and they actually hired 93 people from group four security, the, uh, you know, the, the guards to go and hand out tickets to people that are not wearing masks. It, it's just getting beyond insane. And, you know, I, I had a rant today uh, that I hashtag the Manitoba government in because it's uh, it's just in, starting to infuriate you. Uh, you know the 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 lack of uh, you know uh, you know I if anything but else is you know deemed non-essential. It's the government itself. Right. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Let's make that non-essential. <laughs> we don't need their stinking help. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so my wife loves to watch these cowboy and Indian movies. She's she's a retired executive for Raytheon. You know, worked on the missile defense system her entire life. And when she retired, she like walked away from it all. And said, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. She watches cowboy movies, cowboy and Indian movies all, all night long. There's this one channel called Grit. And you watch that for long enough. And, you know, you know, there's like one sheriff that shows up every six or seven hours of film, you know, but yet everybody else had a gun. And, you know, it's funny to watch how they, you know, how, at least in the movies, they, you know, the, the gun etiquette was, you know, oh, you pull a gun on me, I pull one on you, but then everybody puts it back, nobody goes to jail, right? I mean, that would be a tragedy in today's yeah. world, right? Yeah. Especially but, in Canada or Norway. Where I mean, you're, you're, down by, you're down by Tombstone, and uh, Josh and I, this summer, we went to go visit Lynn Albrook, then we went to go visit Tombstone yeah. and got to see some of those reenactments, and, uh, and it actually, then we went to Bisbee, and it was like super, super leftist, crazy land over in Bisbee. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then... <laughs> And then, which I thought, I thought it was going to be like Tombstone. And I, we rolled in there and we we're the only people without masks. And it was just like Orwellian, but Tombstone w w was cool. But it's, but it's weird. Cause I even saw a few people wearing masks there. You see like these cowboys with their sidearms and then they've got masks on. We're like, you know, come on, you gotta, you're losing your cowboy card, your cowboy man card right. walking around with a sidearm and masks. So. If, if you want to wear a mask, that's your business. Yeah. I don't care. I just don't want you to yeah. tell me to wear one, you know, and my, my, everybody wonders, you know, you know, what, what the right thing to do is for me, if I go into a private institution, like a store and they say, we ask that you wear a mask. Okay. It's your place. I'll wear a mask. If that makes you happy, more comfortable, I'll wear the stinking mask. I know it doesn't work, but I'll wear it. Yeah. But the government, screw the government. The government's got no inherent right to tell me to wear a mask. And now they're going to tell me to wear it inside the house at home. They're going to fight. They're going <laughs> to fight coming. And, uh, and that's, then, that's uh, just uh, insane you know they just start to get worse and worse as this progresses yeah. and the problem is when we give up all these rights to them you know we believe that we're going to get them back on the other you end won't. when the vaccine comes yeah exactly and there's some people yeah. are saying we need to give up a right sooner so then that way we get them back quicker i'm like when in history have you ever given up your rights to then get them back i mean it's literally people that have never read a textbook because that never happens because i had some even some republicans were like hey tim you know you're being a jerk you know going around not wearing a mask and actually just to be a jerk to the tsa I wore a mask flying back from Anarchapoco on February 19th for my so I finally caved and got the TSA pre-check global entry and yeah. after you know getting rubbed down like a hundred something times and I'm like you know what like so my so my uh my interview was February 19th flying back into the country because you know it takes them like eight months to from the time you apply to they finally get around to it and so I'm like you know what just be a jerk I'm gonna throw on a mask and I, and I secretly taped myself and they were pissed at me for wearing a mask and all they asked me was you know basically where are you going and or they, all they asked me is, are you sick? And why do you have a mask on? I didn't get asked, where are you going? Why were you speaking at a crypto anarchist conference? Where are you coming from? I didn't get asked, why do you have all this Bitcoin stuff on you? I didn't get asked a single question, but they were 
livid. And then I flew again in July without a mask. And then they were livid for me flying without one. So I'm probably the first person to simultaneously wear one, to not wear one. So it is kind of funny from my lens of, uh, of, of doing that and, and just seeing, you know, people and, and how they freak out and how they react. But where I think it's going is a central bank digital currency, whereas all the bad features of Bitcoin yeah. and track trace and surveillance and none of the features. Might not even be a blockchain, to be honest with you. I, I talked to somebody at the Central Bank of Canada. Uh, they had uh, actually worked with Ripple uh, for a while and then they actually... <laughs> Yeah, put that aside. So now they're doing something real-time transfer, which is not even blockchain anymore. Yeah. I think they're just giving up because they see the decentralized, uh, you know, currency out there. They, there's no way in hell that they would be able to compete with anything. But like I that. think they're. But they're going. The thing is, the written the initial yeah. $1,200 stimulus was actually in the Maxine Waters bill was in the form it was supposed yeah. to be in the form of like a Fed now type, yeah, Federal Reserve of coin uh, and that's and i think that that's where they're going that's where you've got oh, coinbase is sure. one of their top guys has been at the office of comp Cur control or currency uh since april 1st so i mean jokes on us and uh it's it's just like i mean jim is that where you see things going to that is that we're trying to basically implement the chinese social credit score which i think if they oh, yeah. got in that's what they're going to do but now they're backdooring it in through uh you know through this whole pandemic yeah, you know, what I found curious in the Obama administration, and I was kind of slow to wake up to him, was how many of their their people would openly praise Mao Zedong. And and I grew up thinking Mao was a freaking devil. And, uh, you know, he was a communist devil that wanted to bury us. He asked the Soviet Union for, for uh, nuclear weapons in 1953 so he could lure MacArthur in to China and nuke the entire U.S. Army. I mean, this, this guy, this guy was not our friend. And, and here we are having modern politicians, American politicians at the highest levels praising this man, right? And so, so I think the Chinese, I'll give them this much, they've been, and I've woken up slowly to the threat the Chinese have posed to us, because I think it's equal to the Soviets. Um, but they, they, have, they have infiltrated our country, uh, both financially and culturally. And it's, it's through the, the this, you know, they're, they're buying the politicians, they're buying the business people. They're they're buying the institutions. They bought off the big guy, Joe Biden, the big guy, <laughs> right? Yeah. The big guy. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, older, and, and all their companies yeah. are uh, state-owned enterprises, right? Like the technology ones, right. like CTE, Huawei, Hikvision. All these guys are yeah. you know, backed by the state. Oh yeah, no, I I mean I had at, at Vector. People don't know this because it wasn't public. But we had uh, we had somebody that we found was putting those little MiFi devices in our uh, in our high bay, and they were um, actually exfiltrating data off of our server. And it turned out we we had to get the FBI wasn't involved, interested. You know, we we, we somebody who's maintaining had fingerprints. So we gave it to the FBI. They lost the first one. Oh. So then we found a second one, and we ended up taking it to a different agency. So we went through Homeland Security and got to a different agency, and uh, we had to do some counterintelligence work. And we found two people that worked for us that were Chinese origin. They had American passports. And when you look through their history, there, there was no record of them ever being granted citizenship. So we, we concluded they were illegals, you know? So, so, no, what do you do with that? Yeah, so, unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable yeah. that the yeah. FBI would lose it. Well, actually, it's not really that believable. No, it's not. It, it, well, I mean, it's completely believable, but it is unbelievable that, you know, to the average person out there, but it's just. Right. Yeah. They could care insane. less. They could you know, care what, less. What was it? Barbara Boxer or, or the other, Chi or not Chinese. Uh, who was the California politician that had a Chinese spy or Feinstein? I think it was. It was, it was, it was Feinstein. Yeah, it was Feinstein, yeah. 
and, and nothing I think nothing even was made of that. I mean what working for for 20 years what? and nothing I mean barely even made the news. Well just look I, at Canada right now. Just yeah. look at Canada right now and you know the especially over in Vancouver you know the Chinese own basically half of the town. Uh, with real estate, then of course, believe in that any of the Chinese, you know, are coming. Like I have Chinese friends that are extremely opposed to the Chinese. Uh, don't get me wrong, not all Chinese are bad, but you know, uh, there is a lot of them. You know, I have another friend that you know is, uh, you know, she's a business broker. She helps, you know, companies produce stuff over in China, and she's like, I sat down with her and had her explain me the process. Yeah, you got to pay off this guy, this guy, and this guy to get something done. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, most people are good. It's only their governments that are bad. I mean, so same thing with, you know, America, same thing with, you know, pretty much most places on earth, but Yeah, we we follow bad bad uh, versions of our own government into the into the battlefield. Yeah, we're not we're not exempt. You know, I want to kind of pivot to, do, I mean, what do you think, you know, Elon's, I mean, I, not that he's a guy that you want to, you know, bet against, but, you know, the odds of him getting to Mars and and sort of like a timetable that if you were a betting man on what timetable that might actually, you know, realistically uh -huh. occur. I, I think we're we, 2020. I'd give him probably 2030, 2040. He'll, uh, I don't know if he'll, he himself will go. I've always thought he'd be the first one, but uh, like me, he's getting older every day. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to go. I, you know, 20 years ago, I just said, yeah, sign me up. But today, I, yeah, I, I got race cars to build. That was my next uh, question is like, would you ever go to Mars if, uh, you know? No. I mean, if I could, if I could go and it'd take me a week, yeah, I'd go. It would be kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah but after that yeah you know it's more right. work yeah nobody go over there you got to set up bases you got to do a ton of stuff and then uh, you know well i i don't know like uh, something came to my mind about the the thoughts like i've watched a lot of uh documentaries on the universe and uh, and all this stuff and of course uh, uh, one interesting idea that i found was a terraforming uh, that they yeah. were wanting to do a, a march to make it inhabitable. Very, you know, there's so many fat, uh, you know, bright minds out there that are just like blows my mind how how smart humans can be. Uh, Isn't like pine trees one of the things that helps terraform because they don't require oxygen and uh, can help bring an atmosphere? I think I, I was, I don't know, I heard that on some podcast. I don't know if it was from a scientist, but I forgot where I heard that from. Certain, well, pine trees survive better. Uh, like they definitely survive better in a like a lack of oxygen like the further up north you go uh, and when you have hard and longer winters you know it becomes less and less oxygen in the air if I'm not mistaken so uh, it, it is you know but it, it's interesting ideas you know I I would be excited I, I probably won't go to Mars but I would love to just go out and you know maybe take a little trip around uh, the moon or <laughs> something like that that'd be super cool to do yeah 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 no i mean earth's a great place there's nothing wrong with it you know but it is in our dna to peer over that next hill and and to go you know i mean that's why we do what we do it's 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 an undeniable part of who we are and i have yeah. no doubt that elon's going to be the guy to do it and i'm proud that it's not a government limousine they're going in it'll be a private car yeah that's really awesome yeah i know that that is, that is awesome i think you know one of the you know kind of last things i want to touch on because i know like Colin is, you know, very big into spirituality and age of Aquarius. Is that something that he got from you or something that he ended up sort of acquiring on his own? And, and what was he like as a young child, you know, not going to wait too much because it's, yeah. he really is, you know, one of the most fascinating people I've ever, I've ever come across. And the first day I met him was actually at Ernie's when he was sketching out his three-day blockchain before he actually uh, released uh. that uh, to, to the world. And I should have in hindsight, I'm like, oh man, I should have like 
had him like because he probably just threw it away i'm like you probably should have him like autographed it or something and be like you know meeting steve jobs or something back in and actually my, my ex my ex well now ex-wife uh he was at my house in march right as we decided to split and uh as another kind of another funny thing i thought i saw you post just think right now somebody is, is quarantined with your ex i'm like well i'm actually quarantined with my future ex so and you're like, and you're like okay you got me beat and then uh, but then she's kind of like you know what you know what's this riff raft you brought over to the house i'm like well you know this riff raft you know you know so uh, but no, I but no, I, oh, I, I no. He's one of my he's one of my favorite people, and oh, thank uh, you. Yeah, just, no, I'm proud of him too. Yeah, yeah. No, so, so you didn't get the spirituality from me. I mean, my, I I grew up uh, Lutheran, you know, and sort of on the on the fringes of it, and I, I you know lived with the Mormons, and they tried desperately to give me their religion, and you know, I always called it a sexually transmitted religion, and never got it. <laughs> and uh, so, so you know, I've always been kind of more the the guy that's, you know, what I see and hear in front of me, I'm a man of science, honestly, that, you know, if I can't see God, I, I have a hard time believing it. And I've, I've, I've changed over the years, you know, and I've become Catholic and a little more sort of in tune with, there's a spiritual side of all of us, right? But Colin's always had that from the beginning. Um, I never understood it. Uh, his, his mother, my ex-wife, uh, I think had a bit of that kind of thing, I think for maybe different reasons than Colin does because she wants everybody to like her for it but uh Colin, i think really believes that stuff and he you know he he thinks about it and he, he dwells in those areas and i frankly i don't understand it when he talks to me about it so that's why i you know i just say okay colin you know that's great i have my own sort of spiritual experience at 200 miles an hour on a racetrack and you know i i, I get that we all have our own sort of things but uh he was a he was an interesting child he really was he, like i said earlier he was born in toulouse france and uh, it was funny. The French loved him. They they called him the, the petit Toulousain, so the little the little Toulousan boy. And uh, yeah, he was uh, he was he was very energetic. You know, he had an older sister who's still around, Tori. And uh, they would they would play. We had you know uh, a tile floors there because it was southern France. It's like here, it's tile floors everywhere. And and he would run around and and fall and hit his head so many times. That I had to buy him a helmet to play in the house because <laughs> he would run and it, it, he was just so energetic and he would go and go and go and then just stop, right? And then sleep for like 12 hours. And as he got older, it was all I could do to, um, you know, he was my little buddy, but it was all I could do to keep him busy. And, uh, you know, I, I was uh, learning code. Of, yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. That's exactly what happened. So, so. You know, we, uh, you know, we go on a lot of car things together. He's into cars and as well. And so, we, you know, that's where we bonded. And we bonded over hamburgers every Saturday and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, as, as he got older, um, you know, I was so busy building my career and doing things, you know, I had to find something for him to do. And he talked so much. I, frankly, I couldn't absorb it. And I, and I still can't absorb everything he says, you know. And and so I bought him a computer out of, out of uh, pure defense. And... Uh, a friend of mine named Dwayne Hill um, came in one day. Dwayne, Dwayne's a little younger than me. He worked for me for a while. And he, he, he loved Colin. And he said, he said, you know what, Jim? He says, Colin's got the knack. And I said, what do you mean? He says, he said, let me play this YouTube video. And it was about, you know, this kid that had the knack and he could do anything. And he says, well, we need to get him some, some compilers, right? So Dwayne came with all the compilers he had. And uh, brought him and gave him to Colin, and that it all went downhill from there. You know, we got Dark Basic. I remember was one I bought for him. That he was he was building his own 
uh, computer games like you know uh, what, what's the what's the one where everybody shoots at each other now? Um, first person shooter game. Call of Duty, yeah. So he was yeah. he was doing an Armageddon version of Call of Duty. I remember, and he'd take all these these highlights of films of you know actual nuclear weapons going off and the P fifty twos, you know. And he, <laughs> he was building the whole thing, and he, he you know we go on these long trips, and he sort of asked me, well, what do you think this character needs to do, and whatever that. You know, it, it, he just, the kid's mind never shut off. It just never shut off. And uh, I, I never could find anything. I didn't want him to shut off. But those around us, we just, we couldn't live that way. We couldn't live at that intensity. So, so uh, that, that I think has been his biggest challenge in life is finding those he can be around that can live at that kind of intensity 24-7 because it, it's not normal. And, uh, you know, he built things. He just built everything. He got into... He got into uh, skateboarding and, you know, the local community, you know, shut down the, the skateboard park. And so he got pissed off and he built his own half pipe inside a barn, <laughs> you know, so I'd make him go write a proposal, you know, cause, cause I didn't want to spend a thousand dollars and have a bunch of wood laying around. So I made him write a proposal and make sure it was like, you know, so, so, so that's how I raised him, you know, and, and, you know, if he wanted money, I made him earn it, you know, I made him, you know, help me with cars or whatever. And, uh, and uh, so forth and then then he got into motorcycles and i remember coming home one day <laughs> somebody showed me this picture on what was what was it prior to facebook it was uh, MySpace. MySpace. and it had this picture of him on his ktm and he's up about 100 feet in the air doing an ollie with his ktm you know <laughs> and I'd, I'd been gone somewhere for a week and his mother was gone and i thought oh my god this kid's gonna kill himself you know so he, he just you know at the age of 18 I ended up getting custody of him from his mother because he was too much for his mother. And he came to live with me and, you know, he was all, he was all in trouble with the, he was always in trouble with the police too. And uh, like one time he pinched this girl's butt and then he's going to be brought up on sexual assault charges up in Utah. So we finally talked the judge out of it. And then another time he, he hacked into the school's computer system, didn't change the grades, but it was just SQL injection, you know, basic database hack. Yeah. And he went to the to the principal and said, "Hey, here's you guys have an insecure database." Well, they turned him into the police, and I had to go get his ass out of jail for that, you know. And so finally, he had banging him. Oh, I know. But I, I see. I saw it as different, you know. In fact, the the judge at, at that one, he, he said, "So you guys want me to prosecute him or want me to throw him in jail because he did this? He didn't do anything to the computer." And he yeah. told you about it. Yeah, yeah, you know that's what we want. And so like, uh, no, it's like you say, given, they should have given him like ten thousand dollars and a pat and a yeah. bat and thank you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right, right. Yeah. So, so my final coup de gras was he got caught with drugs, and uh, so I made a deal with the, the same judge. You know, I said, look, judge, I'm moving out of Utah. Take him out of the state. He'll never come back if you just let me go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and judge said, okay. So I I removed him. You know. And, he had had, uh, oh my God, all these, all these, you know, drug, drug dealers were all over him, threatening to kill him, and, and you know, it's like I, I had to leave the state with, you know, my, with my back to the, the the steering wheel and watching, you know, with a gun pointed backwards, you know, it was it was literally like that. Wow. So uh, yeah, he, he's he's you know all these gray hairs, a lot of them are his. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's a good thing you had some fast cars to get you outside of uh, 
get you outside of the Utah borders. But we definitely, definitely appreciate all the time you spent with us today. It's been, you know, fascinating, especially, you know, not willing to, you know, kind of hold back on anything. But I know we do see phantomspace.com to learn more about Phantom Space. You know what? Sure. Tell, us, tell us about this Phantom Space Corporation and what you guys are up to there. I don't know if you're raising money sure. or if you're, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, you knew about my role at SpaceX. And then 2016, we started Phantom. The idea was, I started getting drawn back into the space industry because there was a lot of commercial stuff going on. And I can see the launch was really one of the, one of the weak points. We don't, we don't know, again, standing at the shore in 1500s of Spain, all I see is the Spanish galleons going. So I know that if I build more Spanish galleons and better ones and more efficient ones, I'm going to make money. So, so I want to be the Henry Ford of the rocket business because I think mass manufacturing is what's going to make that happen. And uh, so, so with Vector, that's what we started was that company. I bought, a, uh, a company from a, from a guy I'd known for a long, long time to start it. Um, that was back in 2016 that had a rocket design already done. Um, he had what we thought the propulsion was done. It wasn't, but you know, we, we thought it was a lot further along than it was. So the idea was that we would <clears throat> finish that design and go fly it, make money. And as it turned out three years into that, after a hundred million dollars, um, the technology still wasn't maturing and there was a lot of infighting that started to happen. And uh, so the, the founders, other founders and I basically put hatchets in each other's heads as it happens and that scared off the investors. So um, that uh, I left um, before they declared bankruptcy, uh, mainly because I was outnumbered by the, by the uh, number of uh, other co-founders that thought that they could go raise money themselves and they couldn't. So they bankrupted it by December of last year. So by about October, I could tell that's what was gonna go on. and. Uh, so I quietly started Phantom and uh, picked up a lot of the key people that had been at Vector and uh, you know, put put several hundred thousand dollars of our own money into start. And uh, so we've been we've been working at it a little over a year um, and have a have a rocket design where you know we're in the in the in the prototype build phase. Our engines we bought from somebody else, kind of like Formula One. You know, we're not going to make our own engines. Yeah. We buy them, so they're all qualified, ready to go. So we're we're further along now technically than we were at Vector uh, after after three years and 100 million dollars. So we've raised just a little over a million dollars. We're actually cash flow positive because we're building a satellite for somebody, and we've been doing that for a year. So we've got about 15 people at the moment. Um, we're in the middle of raising another four million, and uh, we, we think we don't need a lot of money. We think we're probably 30, 40 million dollars to get get one of these rockets to space. So we're just trying to, rather than spend a lot of time in front of the TV cameras this time around, um, I'm, I'm resisting that and I'm, I'm much more in a technical role now. My co-founders are you know, handling the business side of things and it's, it's working very, very well and uh, raising money, no problem. We, we raised that million dollars during COVID when everybody told us that there was no good. So, so COVID actually ended up being good for us because up to that point, there was about a hundred competing companies and post-COVID, there's about six companies, and we're one of them now. And uh, so my, my hope is I get get to come out on top again. But we'll see. I just can't give up. You know, it's kind of like I was in a race and ran the car into the wall, so I fixed the car and back in the race. Awesome. It does say warrior across your chest. So, you know, you are yeah. a warrior, a space <laughs> space warrior. And so you guys can find out more about uh, Phantom Space at phantomspace.com. And I don't know if you want people to find you, if you have a Twitter or, or any other websites. Jim, or JimCantrell.com. You can read Jim all Cantrell. about it. 
Yeah, and yeah. I've been enjoying all the all the posts, you, all the car posts. I am. It's fine. The only sport I actually watch is Formula One, so I did understand that. Uh, okay. That that. Yeah. No, no so. Facebook. I I I, I locked that one down, so I don't. Uh, you know, that's the only place I'll talk politics. But Twitter, I won't talk politics. You'll you'll see it's pretty straight straightforward. Okay, and uh, and for you guys yeah. listening and watching this, this will be also available on the podcast. This was live on Float, so if you guys want to get this information first, you're gonna have to follow us on Float. You're gonna have to follow you know the emergency text list below because you know one of our YouTube channels was taken down, so this will be on YouTube. And definitely appreciate everyone watching. Definitely appreciates Jim's time and and John as well. And uh, thank you guys so much. And uh, talk to you guys next time. All right, bye bye guys.